We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. If you are joining me live over on AMP, welcome. I'll be opening up the call-in line in just a moment. We'll be here for about an hour. We'll talk Lakers, Grizzlies. We'll talk game six. We'll talk about what's going on with the Lakers statistically, what's working, what isn't working, lineups, rotations, all that kind of stuff that I know people are extra angry about, about today coming off of that game five loss. So we'll get into all of that. And a lot more. Again, if you're joining me live on AMP, we'll open up Collins in just a moment. Those of you watching over on YouTube or listening to the podcast version, welcome. Please make sure you are subscribing across those platforms. And again, if you're on AMP, that's going to allow you to call in and actually participate in the show. So that's a great way to find us as well. You can find me at Trevor Lane over on AMP. Lots to talk about in this one. And again, before I open up uh, the call-in, what I'd like to get into is a little bit of what we've seen so far. Um in terms of the lineups, in terms of what's happening, in terms of what isn't happening, what we need to see happen for the Lakers, because I've been digging into the stats over the last, uh, whatever it's been, 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever it's been at, at this point. Very little sleep this time of year. I could say that, but I've been digging into the stats and, and taking a look at everything because I got to say, even as much as I approach game uh, five saying, I'm expecting a loss. I went into it expecting a loss for the Lakers in, in game five. I didn't think that just the context around the game was going to be conducive to a win. The Grizzlies being the fresher team, I believed they would recover faster from that overtime game four. And it certainly looked like they did with what we saw out there. Their backs are against the wall. That mentality, it was win or go home. That can be difficult to replicate as much as we say, oh, Lakers, you have to match their energy. That is much, much easier said than done. And then on top of all of that, I just felt like, hey, this is kind of the rhythm of the series was that was the way that it was going to go. You had the home crowd in Memphis as well, which ended up being a big factor. But nonetheless, I still couldn't help even being of that mindset going in. I couldn't help but feel disappointed that the Lakers didn't find a way to get the job done, finish the series in five because of how critical that would have been in terms of rest, in terms of getting LeBron some rest, getting Anthony Davis some rest before a second round series. Now you're in a spot where you're really going to have to push down on the gas pedal because if you lose game six, if Memphis comes out and Desmond Bain is already boasting that the Grizzlies are going to win game six, that they're going to win it, that uh, the series is going to go back to Memphis in front of the best fans in the NBA and, and all of that. And we'll talk a little bit about the Grizzlies and their kind of their willingness to talk uh, being directly related to whether or not 
they're being successful, which makes them by definition front runners. But nonetheless, you are now in a position, if you're the Lakers, where whatever gas you have left in the tank, you have to empty that in game six. Game six, you have to treat as your game seven, as your win or go home. Now, that is not factually correct. That's not accurate. If they lose game six, they still have an opportunity to win in game seven. And it can happen. I mean, the Lakers did it to the Kings back in the day when in 02, one on the Kings floor uh, to, to advance. That can happen, but it's rare. Home teams typically win game seven. So if you're the Lakers, you have to approach game six as a must win. And I don't think the Lakers going to a game seven, given the fact that they look like the much more fatigued team, would give me a lot of confidence that they were going to win that. So game six is going to be critical. You have to win this game. And again, you can't let any more opportunities slip by. I think the Lakers let an opportunity slip by in game two. And look how costly that has been. You now have to play two extra games, at least because you let game two slip away. You don't let game two slip away. The series is done in four, right? You go back home, you win both. Now, maybe, of course, the Grizzlies, maybe their game plans change and things like that in games three and four. So we can't say that with complete certainty. But nonetheless, if you win game two, you go back home and game four, well, looks uh, looks like a, an opportunity to end the series. Instead, the Lakers kind of messed around in game two, didn't approach it, approach it with the attention to detail that I think it required. They dropped that game. And now because of that, you had to play a game five. And now because game five went the way it went, as we expected it to, uh, you now have to play a game six. And that's just more miles being put on the legs of LeBron James, being put on Anthony Davis. And this is a team that already looks exhausted from having such a difficult stretch to close out the season, having to go on such a, a bat out of hell sprint in order to get themselves into the postseason mix. This team needs time off in the worst way. They need, they need like two, three weeks off minimum to really get back to where they need to be. Obviously, they're not going to get that. But now these games going every other day, I think it's starting to take its toll. So going to game seven, not a good idea for this Lakers team. And ultimately, what do you need to do in order to win game six? Well, there's a lot we're going to talk about. We'll talk about Malik Beasley. We'll talk about Troy Brown. We'll talk about whether or not that's even a viable rotation. Advanced stats say it's not. They're getting absolutely destroyed with that second unit on the floor. But it actually is even simpler than just Troy Brown or Malik Beasley or the bench unit. It really comes down to this. This is what the numbers say. Anthony Davis on the floor means the Lakers are winning. Anthony Davis off, they are not by a lot. In fact, in five games in the series, the Lakers, according to cleaning the glass per 100 possessions, are a plus 11.1 with Anthony Davis on the floor. That means you're winning fairly comfortably. When Anthony Davis is on the floor, the Lakers are winning over a hundred possession basketball game. They've got a comfortable 11 point victory on average. Whenever AD is on the floor, when he's off minus 31 minus 31 per 100 possessions with Anthony Davis off the floor. My goodness. That is insane. That is, is a 40-point swing per 100 possessions, whether Anthony Davis is on the floor or not. And look, this is small sample size as part of it. Five, even five games is a small sample size when we look at things. But nonetheless, that is a telling stat. 
And that can lead us into some discussions about whether or not the bench unit is the problem. Is it the three-point shooting? I pulled stats on that as well and how poorly the Lakers have been shooting the ball, how poorly LeBron has been shooting the ball from behind the arc, how all of these things matter. But ultimately, it seems to really come down to whether or not Anthony Davis is on the floor. And you know what? We talk a lot about Anthony Davis's offense and how he's been inconsistent in the series. His defense is so critical that whenever he's not on the floor, the Lakers just start getting lit up. We should also mention this. Game five was the worst performance of the Lakers uh, in the series on both sides of the ball. Um, it was truly horrific what we saw out of the Lakers in game five, both offensively and defensively. Again, according to Cleaning the Glass, you look at the Lakers, their offensive production, it was, well, it was the second lowest of the series offensively, averaged just 99 points per 100 possessions in game five. In game three, their other, other loss, they averaged just 98 points per 100 possessions. So just slightly better offensively than game three. But defensively, this was their worst performance by far. In fact, the Lakers defensively, ever since the game against Minnesota, uh, if we look at just playoff battles against Minnesota, the Lakers were also terrible. The Lakers have been terrible offensively in general. In every game, if we go even go into the play-in, every playoff game so far, the Lakers have been terrible offensively with the exception of game one against the Grizzlies. Game one against the Grizzlies, they put up 130 points per 100 possessions. Every, every other game has been bad, really bad, really bad uh, in terms of their offensive production. The only the two games they won, they ranked in the 37th and 34th percentile among NBA teams in terms of scoring efficiency. That's still bad, right? The games they lost, that they were in the 10th and 12th percentile. So bad offensively, they can survive. Horrifically, scary bad, they can't survive. They can't survive that. And that's what we saw in game three and game five. Whereas game one, they were great offensively, ranked in the 96th percentile. But games three and four, they managed to get by despite being bad offensively because every single game, they've been pretty darn good defensively. Their defense has largely carried them. In fact, game one, which they, they won, was one of, up until last night, was actually their worst defensive performance. But they were so good offensively, it didn't matter. Against the Grizzlies, or against the Wolves, they ranked in the 91st percentile defensively. 62nd percentile in Game 3 defensively. They lost that game. Then you look at Game 3 and Game 4. Uh, I'm sorry, Game 2. They were in the 62nd percentile. They lost that game. Game three and game four, 87th percentile, 85th percentile. They won those games with defense. That's how they won those games. You look at game five, 38th percentile, giving up 116 points per 100 possessions. So it was a combination of horrifyingly bad offensive production from the Lakers in game five with suddenly terrible defense. Now, again, the Grizzlies were feeling their oats, right? They were in a do or die situation, but... The Lakers' defense is going to have to carry the day for them. And whenever Anthony Davis is off the floor, their defense tends to fall apart. So I think game six, Anthony Davis is probably going to have to play north of 40 minutes. Maybe it's 45 minutes. I think you have to empty the tank and assume that game seven is not a path you want to go down. You don't want to go to a game seven against Memphis in Memphis. 
whatever it takes, you have to treat game six as your win or go home situation. Your defense needs to pick it up. And holy moly, offensively, can they just get an average three-point shooting game out of this team? Because if they can, then we should feel really good. If we see a defensive performance, if defensively game five was created by exhausted legs and we see more of the same, then they could be in a bit of trouble. All right, I'm going to bring in some callers here. Just opened up the, the call-in line. And we'll kick things off. Haven't had them on in, in a couple of shows here. But we'll kick things off with my guy Senpai NFT. There he is. Senpai, man, how are you doing? Um, not a great night for uh, for LeBron last night. No, it was not. And that segues pretty much perfectly into what I wanted to talk about. Um, and that's in regards to LeBron. Uh, so I know like a lot of people I've been seeing a lot of, you know, I really don't take social media seriously, uh, but it's like starting to get a more common opinion that LeBron, like his foot might seriously be hampering him, this and that. Uh, I just want to like kind of just provide some context looking at it. So while I do think LeBron has clearly lost a step from a couple of years ago, like he does, he doesn't have that same explosion, that same, like, like just like, balance that he did before uh when you look at it just from a basketball perspective there isn't really a team better in like the playoffs to guard lebron than the memphis grizzlies like you look two through five desmond bain you know he's like six five but he's bulky he's strong and he's quicker than lebron so it's not sound like lebron can easily take him Dylan Brooks, as awful as he is offensively, he's still an elite defender on ball. Um, there's nobody's like debating that. Jaron Jackson Jr., defensive player of the year, enough said. And Xavier Tillman, like I keep seeing a lot of people say, oh, LeBron can't take Xavier Tillman one-on-one. He's washed. And that just for me is like just kind of shows how casual some viewers are. Like if you actually watch and look at the numbers for Xavier Tillman, he's legit an ideal like modern big he's good at protecting the rim uh he's good at, he's very switchable uh for his size and for being a center he's a great rebounder and he's like a great just yes high iq great hands like great eyes uh that one play i think it was in game one where he stole the ball from lebron like lebron passed mm-hmm. and he stole it just right in front of him i had somebody who's like dude how lebron like how does he throw a, a turnover to xavier Tillman? You look at the numbers, Xavier Tillman is legit in in deflections per 75. He's top five in the NBA. Like, he's up there with Alex Bruce, or our old friend. So, he's, like, he's not a pushover either. So, it's just, I'm basically my point is, like, yeah, I think he's lost a step. But this is also an extremely tough matchup for LeBron to score on in general. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, I think, I think there are definitely better days especially considering how you know we if we get past the grizzlies there like that is us getting past the worst team for lebron to face so only up from there yeah i think there's something to that um they the grizzlies do have especially this version of of lebron it's there's been moments where he has to reach back and throw the fastball push down on the gas pedal whatever it is you 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 want to compare it to right and he doesn't we saw it in game four we saw it in overtime but then we've also seen a lot of a lot of instances where he's settling for the three. So 
I need to ask you about this before we get on to, to anybody else here. LeBron is shooting 17% from three, and I'm rounding up to, to get there in, in the, the playoffs here. 17%, and he's taking a lot of the, by far, the highest volume three-point attempts of, of any Lakers player. Um, so I think I can look at that one of two ways. I can either say this is fatigue, he's exhausted, because we know he's not really a 17% three-point shooter. He's better than this over the long haul. So is this fatigue and he's exhausted, or is there going to be an epic regression to the mean stretch coming where those numbers balance out because he's going to start knocking them in? I'm hoping it's the latter, because if that's the case, then you got to feel good moving forward. If it's exhaustion, exhaustion and he doesn't have the legs, that's got to be a big concern moving forward. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think there's going to be a huge regression to the mean. I actually like it. LeBron as a shooter, this is really more how he is. It's not like he's a consistent. Oh, I'm going to go like three for eight every night, and that's just that's just my shooting splits. He is the type where he'll have games. He shoots one for six, one for seven, like two for eight. And then he has a game where he'll explode and he'll shoot eight for 14 from three. And like we saw it against, against the jazz, the last game of the season, like he, this is, it's kind of how he is. He's a super streaky shooter. Um, it's not consistent by any means. So based off that alone, I, I think it's coming personally. I would rather it not come this series. I would rather he saves it all for next series. Cause that's, you know, like assuming we make it there. Um, and we've won several games in this series without him shooting well. So I'd prefer he saves all his shooting for next series where he wants to knock them down because that's like where we'll need it a lot more. Yeah. You know, I, I'm i more the nervous type. I'm, I'm concerned with getting through this series and then, and then you worry about the next one when you, when you get there. So if I, I'm definitely concerned about going to seven, and I think that the Lakers' three-point shooting as a team has been poor since game two. They have not had a good shooting game. Game one was their only good shooting game of the series. Um, they've been below 30% every other game of the series. And so I keep waiting for this kind of uh, playoff intensity steps up. And so you expect the shooting numbers to dip a little bit, but they've still gone a bit further than I expected. So I'm waiting for that positive regression game. Hopefully it comes here in uh, in game six. And LeBron, you know, he said afterwards, right? He said, I played like shit. That's, that's, that was LeBron's direct, direct quote. And just with... And and he's not wrong. Like he she was one for nine from three and five five of seventeen shooting, five turnovers. But when you get a guy like LeBron admitting that, there there tends to be a bounce back the next game because he's he's in his head. He looked pretty angry with himself after after the game. So I am hopeful that we're going to see a big bounce back tomorrow from LeBron. Yeah, uh, same. My and to be quite honest, my like biggest. I wasn't even as much worried about the offense. I was more so worried. LeBron did not look look as locked in on defense at all as we've seen uh, in the other games they've won this series. And that that's what kind of worried me the most is, like, we're, no blocks, like, none of the chase downs or none of the, like, rim-protecting blocks he's had, the charges being taken. He just – he wasn't locked in on defense. And that's – that's for me is is kind of worries me because I think the team as a whole just locks in more when he does. So I'm hoping that on top of having a better offensive game, we see a more locked in LeBron on defense. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that's needed. Well, Senpai, I appreciate you coming on here, man. As as always, good stuff. Yep, thanks for having me, Trevor. All right, 
let me get to another caller here. I've got uh, Tyler, who was in the building for for Game Five last night. Went to the game. Uh, was there part of the uh, the Memphis crowd? Flew in, I believe, for the game. Tyler, Tyler, how you doing? I'm. Uh, I wish I was doing better, but uh, it's going all right. How how was what was the experience going going to the game? Pretty loud in there. Uh, what what was it like being in Memphis for uh, for Game Five? All right, we're gonna pause for just one moment. Need to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Shady Rays. I love Shady Rays. This is this is no joke here. This is not for an ad read or anything like that. Shady Rays have been my daily driver sunglasses for years, even before they became a sponsor. I literally have five pairs of Shady Rays because I've bought so many different styles. Um, they're absolutely phenomenal. So our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. They're an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures and that's not all shady rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear every pair of sunglasses is backed by the lost and broken replacements if you lose or break your pair even one on day one they told us they will send you a brand new pair no questions asked wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase i can confirm this i had my sunglasses sitting on the seat in my car i sat on them i broke them I contacted them, got a replacement pair sent to me. This was a year and a half ago that, that this happened. And I and they sent me the replacement sunglasses. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from them. I, mean, I don't see that from sunglasses companies. Uh, with Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. No risk when you shop with Shady Rays. They have your back and exclusively for our listeners. Shady Rays is giving you their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code LakersNation for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Yeah, it was definitely loud. I mean, just going to any playoff game in general, like it's going to be a great experience. I mean, in the end, I mean, obviously, you don't want to see your team lose. You want to see your team close it out. But it was loud. It was a, it was a fun experience. There was, uh, there was some Lakers fans by me that uh, I was able to talk to. Um, but overall, I mean, I felt like this game, it felt like a game of runs. There was a lot of ups and downs throughout the game. I felt like, like it felt like when the Grizzlies got out to a run, the Lakers would just chip away at the deficit. Uh, at one point they got within one and then the Grizzlies just go on that huge run and just took it from there. Was it, uh, did the Lakers live? Because I've noticed this from the number of games that I've been, been at you, you can kind of get a sense who's fatigued and who's not. And watching the game while doing the, the broadcast over on uh, playback.tv slash Lakers nation, um, doing the broadcast there, the Lakers looked tired. Did you get the same uh, impression in person, particularly as the third quarter went on it looked like they really started to run out of gas yeah it looked like we were like slowly losing energy like obviously lebron didn't shoot good at all so it it looked like lebron just like his head just like wasn't in it it seemed like 
I mean, Anthony Davis, I mean, he had a pretty good game. He had 31 and 19, which is, I mean, it's pretty good. And then, uh, I mean, even though D'Lo shot four for 11, I mean, he had 10 assists. Um, Reeves, four for 13. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, the energy level was my main concern coming into this game. And you could tell right from the jump that the Grizzlies had way more urgency than we did. And I mean, their season's on the line. So they obviously came out with way more energy than we did. Yeah, and maybe that's you know to be expected given the the context of it. I said that was going to happen, but which is just that's typical for playoff series and kind of the ebbs and flows of a of a series. But uh, I said in order to mitigate that, the Lakers were going to need to have their final positive regression game from behind the arc, and that didn't come either. Lakers were ten for thirty nine. Some of those threes were were chucked up at the end trying to make a a vain comeback, and it didn't happen. But the three point shooting just it just has not been there over the course of the series. Um, in fact, I ran the numbers on this last night, and the Lakers, if they just shot their season average, which maybe is not fair to expect because playoff defense picks up an intensity, it's not easy to just shoot your, your season average during the postseason. But nonetheless, if the Lakers just shot their playoff average or their regular season average, they would have scored 27 points more over the course of five games. LeBron would have had 18 more points. That's practically a full game. Of, of scoring from LeBron if he was shooting his regular season average. So my hope is, and you can tell me what, what you think in terms of energy, if the team looks like they, they can bounce back. My hope is that we are going to get that bounce back shooting performance and all of these numbers that are so skewed. And we see how many points the Lakers are lo- leaving on the table from behind the arc um, are going to come back. What do you feel like that energy is going to be there? Or did that look like a team that, is really like they need a week off and a day is just not going to be enough. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. That team, that team that we saw last night looked completely disinterested in playing this game. Like if they don't come out in game six with a sense of urgency and they don't want to go back to Memphis, then I mean, I, I Anthony Davis only played 35 minutes, which I think Darwin should have got AD and LeBron out of the game way sooner than he did, but Anthony Davis, I think he needs to play above 40 minutes going into this game. Same with LeBron, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm in agreement with that. In fact, I broke, I created a, a, not necessarily a rotation, but a minutes breakdown and uh, went through that all last night. Oh, and I couldn't, couldn't sleep after that game for no apparent reason. Right. Because we're all still, we were definitely frustrated with that one, but uh, Tyler, thank you for coming on, on here, man, and sharing your experiences being in, in the building. Sorry, it wasn't a, a better experience going your way, but, uh, but hopefully the crowd was still kind to you there in Memphis and you didn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of comments about being a Lakers fan there. Yeah. Yeah. They were pretty, they were still pretty kind though, but, uh, I, I hope we get this done in uh, game six. That way we don't have to go back to Memphis because I will be concerned if we go back to Memphis. So hopefully we close this out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So Tyler saying the team did look pretty tired, said they even looked a little disinterested. It did feel certainly unfortunate, just the Lakers level of, of preparation or maybe not even preparation, just how locked in they were. It felt like as much as I went into the game thinking, okay, the context around this game is not favorable for the Lakers. Um, it, it kind of felt like the Lakers had that acknowledged that at some point 
I think the Lakers broke. I was wondering if the Lakers should be able to get hot and force the Grizzlies to break, force the Grizzlies to say, okay, we're going to start looking ahead to the summer. Maybe that happens in game six, but the Lakers mentality, they broke uh, in game three. We saw that. So the minutes breakdown that I've got, um, this is what I did. I just, I was laying in bed, couldn't sleep, and um, broke down what I wanted to see minutes-wise from all these Lakers players with Darvin saying that he wants, uh, he expects guys to be able to play more minutes uh, in game six in order to try to get it done. This was my minutes breakdown. I shortened the rotation. I only have eight players in this rotation. Malik Beasley and Troy Brown are not part of it. Troy Brown is shooting 10% from three, and that has been a big problem. The Lakers have not been able to withstand the non-Anthony Davis minutes in large part because uh, the guys coming in off the bench have provided zero on, on the offensive end. I mean, nothing really of any kind of a threat Again, Troy Brown shooting 10% from three. He shot 38% over the course of the season. Hasn't been able to give you a lot there. I still like him. I still like defensively what he brings. Beasley, not been good shooting the ball, shooting 27% from the series. He's not in this rotation either. Um, nor is Lonnie Walker, who's the guy that I've been getting behind. I'm going with, who do I trust the most? Who do I trust, period? And those guys are getting all the minutes. I've got Anthony Davis at 42 minutes played. In this game, I hope he doesn't get into foul trouble. The refereeing has been atrocious in four of the five games. By by my estimation, I'm viewing things through purple and gold lenses. That bias is certainly present there. But I've got AD at 42 minutes, LeBron at 40, Jared Vanderbilt at 20 minutes. Meanwhile, Rui Hachimura is playing 28. So Vando and Rui, essentially, the uh, uh, all they are opposite sides of the same coin. Rui is in whenever Vando is out and vice versa. Austin Reeves is getting 42 minutes as well, just like Anthony Davis tends to be. Their numbers are much better when Austin Reeves is on the floor. D'Angelo Russell plays 35 minutes. Uh, I've got Wenyan Gabriel playing six minutes, the six minutes that Anthony Davis is not on the floor. Wherever you want to put those in, I think you need some type of a big on the floor. Wenyan is switchy enough to cover from behind the three-point line when the Grizzlies go small. I'm not saying Wenyan can handle Jaron Jackson. Just make them work a little bit more. A little bit more. Don't give up so much on the offensive glass. Uh, Wenyan's in there. Rui, again, playing those 28 minutes. And then Dennis Schroeder playing 27 minutes. Meanwhile, I've got these rules in place. You can't have both LeBron and AD out at the same time, which Darvin has been following that rule for the series. Wenyan gets the non-Anthony Davis minutes. And you could say it should be Mo Bamba. Wenyan is just the guy who I think is higher in the pecking order. So if you're going to go with the big, Going with him, I did see some flashes of stuff from him last night. Rui gets the non-Vando minutes. Vando gets the non-Rui minutes. That way you've got a bigger secondary player that's out there on the floor to help you out on the glass. And then the rule of two of Reeves, D'Lo, and Dennis Schroeder should always be on the floor. And those three are spelling each other for rest. Those are the rules that I'm going by. Those are the eight players that I trust the most to close things out. You can agree or disagree with me there. Again, maybe a surprise that Lonnie Walker is not in there, but I'm going with game six, must win, back is against the wall. Do I want to throw in a cold Lonnie Walker right now? If it was game five, yes. And I've got and I've got a game to, I don't want to say mess around with, but I've got a game to throw a curveball at the Grizzlies with. Yes, game six, I'm going with who flat out do I trust to do the job? And that is the group that I'm putting on the floor. Again, you can agree with me. You can disagree with me. Let me know what you think. Going to bring in another caller here. 
as we continue on with the show. I am curious to see how game six is officiated. I am curious to see what happens there. That's going to be key. Uh, particularly when we look at Anthony Davis's foul situation, Jaron Jackson Jr., his foul, foul situation as well. All right, joining me is Jimmy. Jimmy, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Trevor? Hanging in there. We'd be doing better if the Lakers had closed it out, but you know what? More drama for us. Uh, and, and man, this is going to be a tense game six tomorrow. Uh, what's, what's on your mind heading into this one? Uh, so I honestly think, um, you know, I, I've been having a hard time watching Darvin Ham's offense. I don't, I feel like they don't run plays when you watch them. I feel like it's a lot of uh, hero ball towards the end, and there's a lot of stagnant offense. I mean, if you watch the Lakers on Sportsnet, I mean, even Stu Lance, he's like, they're not running any offense. They're just they're letting one guy stand at the top of the key, and everybody else is just waiting for a pass. Um, something's got to change with that, and I don't know. I mean, unless shy of like a title run, which um, I've been emphasizing that, the Bucks and Clippers being out of the playoffs gives us a, a much better chance if we can get past Memphis. Um, I, I, they need to do something about the offense. There's something that's just – they're not running plays, and I wanted your input on that first. Yeah, I think that there is a little bit of a little bit too much freelancing going on. Part of it is Memphis has been really good at shutting down the first, second, sometimes even third option on a play. Uh, they've been – and like as much as I talk about, oh, the Lakers shooting percentages are terrible, they need to be a positive regression game. I need to include in that that Memphis has been doing a tremendous job defensively, and that's certainly a big part of the, the conversation there. Um, but I think you're right. I think there are moments where the sharpness, the attention to detail wanes, and that's where you see the path of least resistance, which is, okay, we're not going to run anything. Just LeBron, here's the ball. Try to create something on, a, at most, a high pick and roll or something like that. Um, and part of that, too, though, is as the series goes on, you your opponent has scouted everything that you do. They know everything that's coming. And so that's certainly part of the equation too, where you have to kind of improvise more and that can lead to the appearance that, okay, they didn't even run anything on that, on that possession. But in general, yes, I, I think having more set plays and running those more often would be certainly preferable and they don't do it enough. I'd like to see them getting open looks for other guys, particularly when if LeBron doesn't have a go and shooting the ball, You've got to make sure that if you, if it's going to be D'Lo taking the shot, if it's going to be Austin, if it's going to be uh, if it's Troy Brown who's in the game, if it's Rui, whoever it is, you need those guys to get to get open looks. You you can't just throw them the ball unless it's you know Rui's got a small on him or something like that. I don't want to see those guys put in positions so often where they have to just create on their own, or it's LeBron creating on his own. I'd rather see the offense organically creating good looks, and then whoever it is that's open can knock those down. A uh, little bit problematic when it's Jared Vanderbilt that's on the, th the floor because the Grizzlies will make him the open man each time. But otherwise, every other lineup, you've got guys that can flat out hit shots for you. Um, you need to run stuff to just make sure those are open looks and not contested. So I, I'm in agreement. That's my long-winded way of saying, yes, I agree. I think that they should run more plays. You know, I, I made this suggestion before and I got ridiculed for it and I still stand by it. I honestly think they need to run with the AD LeBron and two tall wings, uh, preferably Ruya Hachimura and a combination of either Troy Brown or Vanderbilt with Austin Reeves or D'Lo. I mean, you got to have, if you have three other wings, you, you provide length because we don't have the center size that we used to when we won the championship, you know, in a JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. And I think with Ruya and LeBron and AD on the floor, 
and you can pair him with either – I don't like the two guards, but I, I just feel like if you have Troy Brown or Vanderbilt with him and an Austin Reeves, I think it's – I mean, we are rebounding would dominate in that sense. We have the defense. And I know Troy Brown's been shooting – his shooting has been off, but I think that a lot of it too is he hasn't been playing that much, so he has to get in a rhythm. You know, and a lot of these players too – same with Dennis Schroeder. I think Dennis Schroeder has been, his minutes have been reduced and you can just tell when they're on the court, they're kind of getting back to the feel of it. So I, that's my belief on that. I think, you know, I, I think if they approach that, I think we would be really good on that end. Um, and then lastly, before I let you go, I've been trying to find your playbacks and I have no idea where to find this because sometimes I can't listen to you live. Mm-hmm. Where do we, uh, where do we get the podcast for this? So, oh, okay. The the podcast for this. So the they have been putting Amp has been putting a replay of these shows on the podcast version of this. Though I put out on uh, on Apple Podcast, Spotify. Just search Lakers Nation. It's on there, and then I also put it up on the YouTube channel because I'm actually recording the video of myself talking through this and everything. Um, so that will go up on the YouTube channel as well as soon as I get the audio back and I can edit it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I put it out there so you can find this show on. Uh, the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. You can find it on our podcast feeds over on Apple Podcast, Spotify. Of course, I'd encourage you to subscribe all those places. And then um, AMP has been allowed, been putting up for a little bit replays of of these shows, um, so you can find it there as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Trevor. Sure. No problem. Thank you for coming on. Take care. Okay. So he's got. A point. So I just pulled, as Jimmy was, was talking there, I just pulled the numbers on the, the bigger lineups. Um, and he's right uh, in terms of the advanced metrics. So I didn't pull a... The Lakers have not had uh, a Troy Brown. A Lebr- I, I searched LeBron, AD, Rui Hachimura, those three together on the floor. They have not in this series run Troy Brown with those three. They haven't put that lineup on the floor. What they have done is a LeBron, Jared Vanderbilt, Anthony Davis, Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell in a supersized lineup. It's a three. They played three possessions. It's nothing. They played three possessions. They were, they're a minus 250 in three possessions, but that's, it's again, it's nothing. It's not even a sample size at all. Three possessions is, is zero basically. But what they have done, they've spent 83 possessions with a lineup of LeBron, Rui, and AD combined with Austin Reeves and then either Dennis Schroeder, which has had 52 possessions, that five-man grouping, or D'Angelo Russell, which has had 31 possessions. So again, two bigger wing players who are offensive threats in LeBron and Rui, plus Anthony Davis in the middle, and then two guards when it's Russell and Reeves, both of them can shoot. When it's Reeves and Schroeder, Schroeder's going to get left on the perimeter a little bit more. But listen to this. That four-man grouping, Reeves, Rui, LeBron, AD, and then if you want to put in either Schroeder or D'Angelo Russell, the net rating in 86 possessions, which is still a small sample size, is plus 37. Plus 37 per 100 possessions. Again, you get some noise in there because of the small sample size. But he's not wrong. Those lineups are indeed working. Now, with the Grizzlies going smaller, they pulled Dylan Brooks in the third quarter because the Lakers continue to make him the designated shooter on offense, continue to let him shoot. 
and he continues to miss. He was three for 15. In game five, the Grizzlies inserted Luke Kennard, who did get injured. We'll see if he's able to play uh, in game six, was dealing with a shoulder issue. But um, when they put him in and the Grizzlies went smaller, maybe that could challenge this rotation because then you've got Ja, Dez, and Rui is trying to chase around Luke Kennard, right? Then maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's a problem to, to consider there. They also went uh, ultra small. You can see Tyus Jones in the mix too. So that could be a concern with this type of lineup. But in general, of the course of the series, yeah, this has worked out pretty darn well. And you look at what they've done defensively. They rank that group, again, small sample size, that group ranks in the 100th percentile in points per possession. They're only giving up 89 points per 100 possessions. That four-man grouping, Reeves, Rui, LeBron, AD, which maybe it shouldn't be a surprise because if you ask me who have been the Lakers' four best players, it's those four guys, right? But they've been tremendous offensively in the 100th percentile as well. Really, really impressive stuff. They haven't been turning the ball over. They've been getting themselves to the free throw line. Their offensive rebounding rate has been fantastic, has been, been good. Their field goal percentages have been great. And I mean, it, it all falls under that umbrella of AD on the floor equals good, AD off the floor equals bad. But nonetheless, that group does seem to work out pretty darn well. Now, if I take out Rui from it and we put in a guy who is not as much of an offensive threat, of course, you know, I'm talking about Jared Vanderbilt, whose defense is critical. The Lakers are a minus nine per 100 possessions with that group. Uh, on the floor. Well, actually, I didn't have Reeves in the mix there. Let me see. With Austin Reeves, they're a minus 0.6 with Vanderbilt in in place of Rui. So Rui, who's been shooting the ball well, seems to be the key ingredient. LeBron, Reeves, one of the other two guards, and Anthony Davis. Rui in the mix has been the better grouping for the Lakers this series than Jared Vanderbilt, but you also need Vando to try to make John Morant work. So something to, to consider there. Some decisions for Darvin Ham to make. All right. I'm going to bring in another caller here. Some of these numbers are just crazy. Just crazy when you start digging into all of this, what we're seeing from the Lakers. It, it really, I always say, you know, the stats tell you part of the story. They don't tell you the whole story. You got to watch the games. You got to pay attention to what's actually going on. But it's great when you can look into the deeper analytics and it backs up what the eye test is telling you. It just gives you that much more conviction that, hey, this is should be the path forward for the team or this is what they should or shouldn't do. It just gives you that much more information um, to make a, a, a rational decision. All right, coming in, we've got uh, Lakers Sun or Lakers UN. We'll see which way it is. How are you doing? Uh, you're on mute right now. Oh, hey, Trevor. How's it going? Good. No problem. Yeah, I'm very stressed uh, about uh, last uh, yesterday's game, but uh, I'm really confident for game six. You know, LeBron has said uh, he's uh, playing bad, but uh, he. He's giving his word, and uh, I trust him. And uh, to be honest, this feels like the 2020 finals, game five and game six, uh, as a must-fear. So 
I'm pretty confident, but I agree with you that uh, ADE should play more. And uh, a little concern for me is, you know, ADE has been uh, up and down. I'm just worried he's going to give us a bad game on game six. But yeah, that's uh, just a little concern of mine. Yeah, that's that's been the pattern of the series, right? Now, defensively, he's been great every game. But the pattern of the series so far has been good Anthony Davis game, bad Anthony Davis game. Good, bad, good, bad. And so we just had a good Anthony Davis game. So do we get, in terms of offensive production, a bad Anthony Davis game in game six? That's It's got to be a concern. It's got to be a concern. Hopefully that's not what happens. But, you, I mean, you'd be silly not to be worried about it given the, that that's the way the pattern has gone. It's not what I'm expecting. I think AD will, look, it's still a small sample size. AD will break the pattern and, and he'll be good. In game six, he seemed fired up. He seemed determined uh, to go out there and get the job done in that one. So hopefully we get a, at very least, solid Anthony Davis performance. And if everybody else can knock down shots at a consistent rate or at least a little bit better than what we've seen in the series, then I feel good about the Lakers' chances. But we'll see. I, I think there's there's enough reason to be nervous about it until uh, until the Lakers actually get the job done. Absolutely, absolutely. I just have one last question is uh, for Jared Winderbeck. You know, he has been had a pretty good two games offensively. And I'm just wondering why, you know, Coach Ham uh, didn't split him more. I know he's offensively, he's not normally a threat, but if he's getting going, why don't we split him more? Why? Who is that you're talking about? Uh, Vanderbilt, Jared Vanderbilt. Oh. So Jared Vanderbilt, he's he's been really good defensively. Um, and I think they've been asking him to defend John Morant quite a bit. His offense can be hit or miss. And you see what the Grizzlies defense does. I think when, when Jared Vanderbilt is on the floor, it makes it a lot more difficult for Anthony Davis to get going because Vanderbilt, even when he's out behind the three-point line, the Grizzlies don't defend him. They send an extra man to Anthony Davis. So if you run high pick and roll with Anthony Davis and you're hoping to get something for him at the rim, he's got an extra defender standing there because the Grizzlies are willing to give up that corner three to, to Vanderbilt. And he's not shot great for the series. He's shot below his season average as well. He's shooting like 22% from three um, on the series when he was a 30% three-point shooter uh, for the season. So that's, I think, why his minutes have been limited on top of the fact that they, they want him fresh whenever he's in there against Ja. They want him giving everything that he's got and they don't want you do wor worry about diminishing returns if Vanderbilt plays 35 minutes is he able to go 100 miles an hour that entire time trying to stay in front of John Morant probably not so I in my mind I think it's both of those things that have capped the minutes for Vanderbilt but I agree he's a guy who can make a big impact and if he happens to get hot like he, he, he did in game four when he suddenly has 15 points Great, you'll take it. But I think with him, that's kind of the, the icing on the cake. With what, what you're really looking for from him, it's the defense and it's the rebounding. Agree, agree. All right, well, hey, thank. I was just going to say thank you for, for calling in. I, I do uh, appreciate it. For sure, yep. Thank you, Trevor. All right, have a good one. Yeah, you know, I, I like Jared Vanderbilt a lot. I really do. I like Jerry Vanderbilt a lot. I think he's going to be a good player moving forward for the Lakers. I, I think he can be a Laker for a long, long time. But you look at the the Grizzlies' defense is so different when Vanderbilt is on the floor compared to when he is off the floor. 
And that makes sense. They don't think that Jared Vanderbilt's going to shoot. Uh, they don't think he's going to shoot well enough to hurt them. And they frankly aren't that worried about having to recover to Jared Vanderbilt at the rim or his slashing either. I mean, he can have um, kind of questionable hands and finishing at the basket. So they really do try to make the Lakers pay for having Jared Vanderbilt out on the floor and they force passes to Vando and let him shoot from those corner threes. Look, we, we've seen a game where Vando got hot, but, and, and you know, he was three of four in, in game five. Like a lot of his opportunities though, he's scoring a higher percentage because the Grizzlies aren't defending him. They aren't defending him for a reason. They'd prefer to make him the shooter. Now, if he shoots, he was two of five from deep in game four. If you could get that out of him consistently, well, first of all, the Grizzlies' defense would change. They wouldn't defend him the same way anymore. But if you can get that out of, out of him to, uh, consistently, he would be a much more impactful player. The problem is, every other game in the series, aside from game four, he was 0 for 1 from 3. That's not going to force the Grizzlies to defend him in the series, again, shooting 22% overall. That's not going to get them to go out there and defend Jared Vanderbilt much. All right, let me see who else we can, we can bring in here. We do have... A few more minutes. Do have to go and uh, pick up my daughter in just a bit. Hashtag dad life and all that kind of stuff. But we've got a little bit more time to hang out here on AMP. And right now I'm going to be joined by Mike Moreno. Mike, how are you doing? Well, uh, we'd be doing better if, if we closed out game five. But uh, but all things considered, not not too bad. Uh, what's What's on your mind? Uh, first off, I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I've been watching it for years. Uh, just happy to be on it today. Um, and well, a couple you. things just real quick. I mean, I could talk Lakers all day, but this series reminds me of 2009 when the Lakers were against the uh, Rockets. Uh, you're like, this This team isn't really – they're good. They just have a lot of energy. That's what they brought to every game. And it seems like the Lakers weren't as effective as they should be so you're thinking it's it's the Grizzlies just that historical – well, the Grizzlies have been known as this grit and grind team, right? It's just that. It's the Grizzlies providing the energy and the effort and all of that, whereas you see the Lakers as the more talented team, the better team in the series that ultimately will prevail. I You know, I hadn't thought about that parallel of Lakers-Rockets from, from 09, but um, I don't remember. Was that when – there was, I, it was probably a regular season game. The one where Derek Fisher flattened Luis Scola. Oh, no, that, that, that was the uh, that was, um, playoffs, yeah. And I remember when they asked Kobe in the press conference, like, oh, I really didn't see that play. No, I really, really wasn't <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a frustrating series. I I hope it does. And I, I, I thought the Lakers were the better team there too, but the Rockets just played so hard and just kind of, uh, mucked things up enough to make it uh, a closer series than it should have been. I, I hope that's indeed a, a proper parallel and that the Lakers will advance here because I do feel like they're they're the better team in this series. But the Grizzlies, when they really get things going for them, they start feeling really good about themselves. I've been calling them front runners. I think they kind of are. Uh, whenever they whenever they feel like they've got a lead or they've got or things are going well for them, that can snowball on you real quick. Whereas if you if you come out and you punch them first, I think that doubt creeps in with uh, with Memphis. And so I, I'm hoping that's what we get to see here in game six. Definitely. And uh, just one more thing. Um, so as far as like the adjustments that uh, Coach Ham makes, um, I mean, it's it sucks. It's all hindsight, like coulda, woulda, shoulda. But really, I think it's those coaches that implement a 
adjustment and they see that it's not working faster than others. Um, I know on the post game shows, we usually, you, you guys usually talk about, oh, um, he didn't call timeout or anything like this. It's him making those key adjustments on the fly. Yeah. How comfortable do you feel with, with Darvin Ham's ability to do that? Like, should that, how confident are you that Darvin Ham's going to make the correct adjustments for game six, I guess? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm confident. I mean, I, I, you, you kind of have no choice, but you have to be confident. Um, not just that, but you kind of have to think. I mean, LeBron, he's obviously one of the all-time greats. I mean, I'm a Kobe fan at heart, and I think he's the GOAT, but um, he has to make adjustments as well, and so does Anthony Davis. I think the best series are won when the stars don't outperform or where the role players outperform in their roles. Yeah, and that's that's what ham needs. He needs some role players that can step up. Um, he needs some guys to step up and, and hit some shots. I do think the Lakers have made so now it feels weird saying coming off of a loss in game five and a loss where a lot of people are upset with Darvin, Darvin ham because of his decision to pull Anthony Davis. Although, you know, he pulled Anthony Davis in the third quarter. Grizzlies go on a big run, but we're forgetting. And even I missed this in my initial analysis was, he put AD right back in like a minute and a half later of game time. Now the Grizzlies had already gone on like an 8-0 run or something, but it didn't stop the run putting Anthony Davis back in as much as people are upset and saying Darvin Ham threw the game by pulling AD when he did and everything. Um, AD going back in didn't necessarily stop that run either. You could say, well, the Grizzlies had all the momentum at that point. And so it's kind of tough to, once that ball gets rolling down the hill, it's hard to stop it. But nonetheless, I, I do think Darvin Ham has done a pretty decent job with scheme wise, his adjustments. I don't think we've seen enough of a shift with the rotation, but in terms of what they've been doing, I think he's done a pretty decent, like better than I thought. I went into the series saying that the, the Grizzlies had a big advantage with Taylor Jenkins over Darvin Ham, but I think Darvin has done better in terms of schemes than I expected. Rotations is a different conversation, but I think he has made some pretty good adjustments 
in this series. We even saw it in the third quarter. They started blitzing up high and really putting pressure on the Grizzlies with their defense. It got them back to within one point. They were forcing turnovers. So I am fairly confident that even if the Grizzlies go smaller, Darvin Ham, the coaching staff, they're going to cook up some adjustments for game six that hopefully will lead them to victory. Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's a good adjustment if it works. It's a stupid adjustment if it doesn't. You know, then that's the downside of being an NBA coach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the the difficult part of it. It's so results-oriented. It, it's results over process. If you win the game, then whatever you did was great. And if you lost the game, then whatever you did was terrible or you did nothing but put your hands in your pockets. But, uh, Mike, thank you so much for, for coming on here. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Hope you have a good day. Thank you. You too. So I saw this. I'm going to bring another caller here. I saw this and... It made me laugh. I believe it was either on Reddit or on Twitter, something. And somebody was suggesting that what the Lakers need to do, the, the key to their success is they need to only allow Darvin Ham to wear pants without pockets. It's so funny. People get so upset at seeing Darvin Ham with his hands in his pockets. They assume that that's, that's Darvin just not being engaged, not being involved. He's not doing... And look, I've been critical of Darvin for not calling timeout as early as he should. By the way, game six. My goodness, Darvin. Utilize your timeouts if for nothing more than to get your guys rest. Get your guys rest via those timeouts. Do not end the game with timeouts still in the chamber. Use them all. Use that as a... Even if you don't feel like you need a timeout, and certainly don't do it when you've got momentum... But even if you feel like your team doesn't necessarily need a timeout in terms of the energy of the game in that moment, use it as a way to get you. Look, we all see how long the commercials are during these nationally televised games. Use it as a way to get your guys four minutes of rest. Here's four minutes for Anthony Davis to rest without having to be off the floor because we know those commercials go on forever. Use the timeouts, Darvin. But as critical as I've been of him for that, I just think it's funny that we've latched on to the hands in my pockets thing so much um it reminds me of the byron scott days everybody was so upset and so obsessed with byron scott constantly crossing his arms he would coach on the sidelines with his arms crossed all the time and people were would make jokes about that i would make jokes about it now with darvin it's the hands in his pockets it's kind of what what people do i don't know i kind of did the same thing as a coach though and it was always my my left hand would always be in my jacket pocket and it was just kind of a force of habit and it became a thing, but people tend to look at that as some sort of type of a signal that, that it's Darwin not being engaged because his hands are just in his pockets. Clearly, he's asleep at the wheel because his hands are in his pockets. I can't go that far, but it's it's interesting seeing how people have reacted to that. All right, I'm going to bring in another caller here if we can get somebody in. Should be able to do at least one more here on this show. By the way, those of you joining me live on AMP right now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you do follow the show at Trevor Lane place to follow me there um follow the show that way you get notified whenever we go live do this at least a couple times a week all right coming in we've got m vita welcome in how are you doing hey trevor how are you doing i'm uh, doing well doing well hanging hanging in the man i am just now seeing your um your avatar here and it's it's kobe and, and Gigi. that's that's a, a great one i have not seen that one before specifically with the, the halo over kobe's head and all that very cool yeah, it's actually, uh, I have to cut it off, but it's actually the rest of it's a uh, basketball hoop. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, oh, all right. That's awesome. Very cool. 
Very cool. Um, so what's, what's on your mind? Oh man, I'm just, I'm extremely frustrated with Darvin Ham right now. So what, what is it that, that you're so frustrated about with, with Darvin? Is it the rotation? Is it the, the timeouts? Like I was just kind of ranting about what, what's, uh, what's got you upset with him? Well, you just mentioned, right, the forward lineup. I think you said it was Rui, AD, LeBron, and um, Austin. Yes. So I'm guessing that stat, um, Ham and his coaching staff have access to this information. So why isn't he playing them more? Uh, yeah, of course, they, they definitely do. Uh, why they aren't playing, I would imagine it's something to do in terms of of those four, it's Rui that's not getting that many minutes. I'm a little bit concerned about that, and that's why in my – uh, in my breakdown of the my minutes breakdown that I went over what 15 20 minutes ago, I had Rui finally playing 28 minutes. He got 26 minutes in game four, but I really think that was just a symptom of D'Angelo Russell got in foul trouble and that got him some extra minutes. I think Rui's got to play more in this series in general. I mean, he was four for eight against the Grizzlies in game five. I think he gives you a rebounding presence. He's six eight with a seven two wingspan. I I have to to think it has something to do with the concern about defending the Grizzlies three-point shooters and be able to switch things on the perimeter. And that's why we see him not get as many minutes. But when you're looking at it, Rui or Troy, like Troy Brown got 12 minutes in game five. Now, maybe some of those you could say were garbage time minutes. But personally, I mean, Rui's been much more effective on both ends of the floor. So I think that's been a, an issue is Rui just not playing enough minutes and you kind of burning minutes on Troy Brown and Malik Beasley. Yes, the Lakers do have access to all that information. Look, if I can pay five bucks a month to get cleaning the glass and get into the, these advanced stats, the Lakers certainly can, and they have even further advanced metrics than what we have access to. But yeah, they they know this. Um, I, again, I have to imagine it's a defensive thing. It's Rui got into a little bit of foul trouble in last night's game, so maybe that was part of it. Had two fouls in the first half and then sat for the rest of the half. Maybe that was a piece to it, but otherwise it is a bit of a head scratcher and something that I hope changes for game six because it's it's necessary. You've got to play Rui Hachimura more than 20 minutes a night right now. We're going to pause for just a moment to talk about game time. Ticket buying can be a very stressful experience. Personally, I am always trying to make sure that I'm getting the best deal, and that's not always easy to know. You have to go fully through the checkout process. Sometimes one app will say one thing, another app won't give you the final price until the end. It is a nightmare, but buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and a best price guarantee. So you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you are going to have. Forget about planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So you suddenly find yourself with a little bit of time. You have some friends that want to go do something. Grab tickets on game time. Game time, the guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's how confident they are in their best price game time guarantee. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You even get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect. 
when you arrive. Snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LakersNation for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. No, yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean, he has six fouls. I don't even think he plays enough to even foul out. Yeah, exactly. He's and he's not getting enough minutes, I think, to make that and make the kind of impact that he should. Now, he's not going to stay red hot like he was the first two games for the entire series. But I actually think he's done pretty well defensively. And just being a big physical presence on the floor can help you on the glass as well. So I, to me, it's it's strange that he hasn't been playing more, particularly when Troy Brown's been struggling. And again, I, I just keep going back to it's got to be the three point coverage because of the two. Troy Brown's got a better chance of defending a three-point shooter, particularly a smaller three-point shooter, because he's 6'6". He's a little bit more nimble, a little bit quicker than Rui at 6'8". But, I mean, man, in terms of who's having a good series and who's not, it's not close. It's Rui who should be getting the nod here. No, yeah, 100%. I actually wanted to talk about that. I mean, if if Ham has seen our three-point struggles, why not just double down on our size and throw in Mo and um, Rui together? I mean... For one thing, I don't think Mo can shoot worse than Malik and um, Trey Brown right now. Yeah, Malik is shooting 26, 27% from three, and Troy Brown's at 10%. So I, I think that Wenyan Gabriel is ahead of, and, and Wenyan doesn't give you really anything from behind the arc, but Wenyan seems to be ahead of Mo in the pecking order from the, the big position. And I think part of that is the switchability. I think that matters. You can't switch stuff with Mo. And so that's a concern. You're pretty much locked into drop coverage defensively when you have Mo. Now, he's obviously the better rim protector between himself and, and Wendy Gabriel, but you also have to play drop coverage on pick and roll because Mo can't show up high to the uh, to to meet the ball handler right as he's coming off the screen like Wenyan potentially can, or at least he's he can do that a little bit better. So I think that's part of the reason why you don't see as much Mo Bamba on the floor. I wish we had seen more of him in the regular season so we weren't throwing him in cold, but... Man, I mean, it was garbage time in game five. Most of the fourth quarter was garbage time, and Mo still couldn't get onto the floor. I have no optimism that we're going to see Mo Bamba in this one, but do we see Wenyan and Rui out there together, along with like a LeBron or something to have some real size? I sure hope so, because like you said, like the, the Lakers on the boards, they need an advantage there. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. You have to have some type of edge on the boards. And last night, it was 14 to 14 in offensive rebounds. And some of those offensive boards for the Lakers came in garbage time. Uh, they won the overall rebounding battle by two boards. It's just, it's not enough. You have to have a bigger presence offensively. I thought the Grizzlies really hurt them with second chance points uh, with hitting their own offensive glass. And that's where uh, Rui Hachimura, Wenyan Gabriel going a little bit bigger while still maintaining some versatility to defend on the perimeter, which is what I think Wenyan and Rui give you. I think that's probably the the way to go here. And I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of it in this series. No, yeah, 100% agree. I also wanted to ask you, um, what do you think of LeBron just throwing and settling himself for so many threes? I'm wondering if that's a concern for you because um, I've noticed that he doesn't drive as much anymore and he's settling for these long threes and right now they're not hitting and it's actually hurting us. Yeah, it, LeBron is, uh, is shooting 17% from deep. He's taking the highest volume of threes on the team by a lot. It's it's a concern. I know he's a better three-point shooter than this, and hopefully there's positive regression coming, but I do think a lot of it is the foot. 
I think he's exhausted. I think he's dealing with a, an active injury. And so he just can't explode to the basket the way that we're used to seeing him do. And then on top of that, I can say this, look, when the Lakers have gotten to the basket, my goodness, Jaron Jackson Jr. can do whatever he wants without getting whistled for a foul on most possessions. So that's got to be frustrating too. When, when you do get into the paint, you get hammered and you're not getting a whistle. And if you don't score the ball, you get hit, you get fouled, and the referees are going to turn, turn a blind eye to it. All you're doing is you are igniting a fast break going the other way for your opponents. So that's got to be a concern too. How game six is officiated is going to matter as well. I think the Lakers have been hurt much more than the Grizzlies by how um, reluctant to blow the whistle the referees have been. They have really let them play in this series, and that's hurt the Lakers too. So I think all of that kind of gets wrapped up into LeBron's volume of three-point attempts. But, I mean, man, if he is, instead of one for nine, if he is three for nine even, that makes a big difference in how he's defended, makes a big difference in the energy around the team, he just needs to start getting some of these shots to drop, and it would go a long, long way for this Lakers team. No, yeah, 100%. The refs have been absolutely atrocious. I'm wondering now, don't teams usually, like after games, they send like game film to the uh, NBA um, representation, like, hey, look at all these fouls the refs missed? I don't know. I'm wondering why there hasn't been more calls going the Lakers' way. Yeah, I mean, they they do. Um, but it, when every team is doing that, at some point, it's it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? It, it starts to fall on deaf ears. Um, I think the the lack of consistency has been the, the biggest, most frustrating thing. And that's, in general, a frustrating thing for players, for fans, is what is a foul on one possession isn't on another possession or is for one team, not for another team. It hasn't. I haven't been impressed. I've been frustrated with the officiating all season. I haven't been impressed with the officiating this series, aside for game three i thought i thought game three was the one game that was properly officiated hopefully that ref ref crew is back for game six um otherwise i think they've been letting a ton go and some really egregious stuff and i feel like jaron jack i mean jaron jackson had five fouls in last night's game but a bunch of those were picked up when the game was already decided when the game's on the line he can do just about whatever he wants it seems like and, and not get get a whistle against him um so i i would hope Somehow this this does turn around with the officiating, but kind of we've seen it all season. And the Lakers are just going to have to find a way to play through, adapt, and overcome. I, I think a bit of this, too, is every fan base feels like the referees are out to get them, um, which obviously isn't the case for every single team. But nonetheless, I think the way this, this series has been officiated has hurt the Lakers uh, more than it has the Grizzlies. So hopefully we see uh, a different style of officiating in game six it would go a long way towards helping the lakers out to get a win uh yeah real quick i just have two more questions for you yeah um really quick you know talking about the late game you know we were down 20 with like eight minutes to go and i was wondering if um any reporters asked darvin hamlin why he kept ad and lebron on on the floor for long for so long you know what i haven't seen the full context of, of darvin ham's post game but ad was asked about it and he just said that they were hoping to go on a run. Like they, he mentioned Denver, that they saw Denver make a real quick run, like a 12-0 run or something and wind up tying a game and go into overtime. And so he thought that was why he played so many minutes in the fourth quarter, was just hoping that they could get a quick spark. And next thing you know, it's a you know four-point game with a minute and 30 left or something like that. That's what they were hoping for and why he got left in. But I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, this is too far out of hand. Just get these guys some rest, get them off the floor. But that was what the coaching staff was hoping for. Again, that, that's from AD, not Darvin, but 
that was the explanation was, hey, we wanted to give ourselves a chance to maybe have a fortunate run and, and put ourselves back in the mix. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that doesn't come back and bite us uh, in game mm-hmm. six. Because, I mean, LeBron looks absolutely exhausted. I mean, AD's, AD and Austin Reeves are hitting the floor on every other play, it seems like. Um, it's, it, oh, that was extremely frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a concern. Their their level of energy is. Uh, I wish there were two two days off between these games. Instead, there's only one. The Lakers, man, they need all the time they can get to try to recover because they do look exhausted. Oh, not hundred percent. But really quick, I want to ask about the off season. I saw somewhere that um, the idea of like, let's say, if the Warriors, uh, if they don't make it out of this series or they don't have a good playoff run, the possibility of possibly. Um, Combining um, Beasley's and Mo Bamba's salary to trade for Draymond Green, what do you th- what do you think? Is that even possible? Well, uh, Draymond's going to hit free agency, so it would have to be a double. Uh, well, not a double, but it have to be a sign and trade, which would trigger a hard cap for the Lakers. So that's that's a really difficult situation. Now, I think though he has I, look off the top of my head. Yeah, I think he's got an option on it. So if he were to pick up his option. Um, yes, he has a player option for next year. If he were to pl- pick up his player option for 27 million, um, sure. If you were to be willing to do that, then you don't have the sign and trade scenario. And if he were open to it, yeah, I don't know why, if the Warriors would really trade him to a division rival like that, I, I would, and especially for Mo Bamba and, and Beasley, like, I guess you could give them picks and uh, the benefit you would have to problem is you would have to guarantee those salaries for next year too it's not like the warriors would just get to wipe those off the books and save money so i i would have to say it's probably it's unlikely yeah they couldn't do it as like a salary dump to save money from the luxury tax yeah trading them would would uh would secure those salaries so i mean if the warriors were going to make draymond pick up the 27 and a half million on his contract he's still an expiring contract you'd get rid of him at the end of the next season you'd be in the same situation with the salaries of, of Beasley who has a, a team option and, um, and Bamba. So yeah, you'd have to guarantee those. So that's, that's the issue that you'd run into is those would, those would still be on the books unless you can do something pre-draft. I think Bamba's you would have to guarantee because he's non guaranteed deal. I'd have to look and see if you can trade Beasley before making a decision on his team option that could potentially allow them to save 16 and a half million if they were to, to move him which obviously is a lot more when it comes to luxury tax but again i just i just get back to would the warriors really trade draymond to a division rival and i think probably the answer is no um but those will be some interesting pieces for the lakers to potentially use on draft night um we'll see what what they're ultimately going to do how the playoffs go will, will matter a lot and then uh, these new CBA rules are going to be really important too in terms of triggering the super tax, potentially losing your taxpayer mid-level if you go too far into it. I think the Lakers have to be careful, particularly with Beasley and Bamba. These new rules may make it a little bit difficult to hang on to those guys. More more difficult than it was previously for sure, depending on what they think it's going to cost to keep Austin, to keep D'Lo, keep Rui. Those guys have to be the priority. So I'll do some full breakdowns on this and really do the math and everything as we get into the offseason. But I would say it's unlikely that they that they go get get Draymond. Although I do think he'd be a, a pretty good fit. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping that you and Keith might do a break break uh, breakdown of the new CBA. Yeah, yeah. We definitely will. We've done some stuff over on the front office show, but we'll have some more stuff planned here. 
But hey, man, thank you for for coming on here. I I, I do appreciate it. No, yeah, thank you, Trevor. Thank you, and uh, to all Lakers Nation for all you guys doing. Let's go out and win Game Six. That's let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Uh, I'm gonna wrap things up there because I gotta run and uh, go pick up a kiddo. But thank you guys for joining me here over on Amp. Those of you joined the show live, appreciate it. Uh, and those of you watching over on the YouTube channel, over on the podcast feed, make sure you guys do subscribe there. Till next time, everybody. See ya, and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.